Fixer Upper. It's a new series that we're starting. I, I love to see houses restored. I, I think that it's so awesome to watch some of these shows and you see a house that is torn to pieces and, and a house that uh, looks like it could fall down. And then by the end of the show, you see this house that just looks amazing. And then you want to go do that yourself. And one of my favorite things about living in Indiana, it may not be yours, is to see the old architectural buildings. And I love the old towns and I go through sometimes, I just take a drive and even the old uh, towns with the square and how they're redoing them. They're not knocking the buildings down, but they're updating the buildings. And I love it because I love all that history and I love the architect. Even in, in, I love about Indiana, a lot of people don't like is I like to drive even some of these back roads and, and and go through the cornfields and, and see these barns that look like uh, they're going to fall any second and kill 15 people inside. Anybody like that? But I, I, I love seeing all the architect and I love restoration projects. In fact, when I was in my 20s, uh, I met a, a man who became a friend of mine who he flipped houses and he started to encourage me to flip houses. And when he did, I thought, how hard could this really be? You buy a house, you get paint and flooring and and some nice bushes and you make a lot of money. And so I went for it. I bought a house. I was in my 20s. Uh, we, our oldest son was very young, like two or three at the time. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to make a lot of money in this project. And I'll never forget, I was pulling up the old floors. And when I was pulling up the old floors, I felt my hand fall through the subfloor. And I found out there was rot there. And in all that rot, I thought, okay, that, that's okay. It's a setback, but it's not something that is so hard that we can't overcome. And then I had a contractor come and pull up the subfloor and he gave me some bad news that the house was eat up with termites. And so not only was there termite problem, there was also a foundation problem as well. Remember I said floor and paint and a bush? Not exactly went that way. And, and I think of the restoration project, it, it was a lot more than I could handle. In fact, I ended up wanting to kill my friend for getting me involved in flipping this house. And, and, and I learned many times when restoring, there is always more beneath the surface. In fact, the contractor, he uh, had me find the blueprints. And we had to go back to the blueprints to trace some things on those blueprints and, and, and figure out how to fix this thing. Not just to make it look good, but to make it structurally sound so someone could live in it so that I don't sell a house that's going to fall down the first week they're in the house. And so finally we got it fixed. And there's a statement I want you just to think about. I want you to sit in this for a moment. I learned, I said this a minute ago, I learned uh, many times when restoring, there's always more beneath the surface. Think about that. Anytime you're restoring things, there's always something beneath the surface. I have found out with houses, I have found out with projects, I have found out with restoration that what you think on the surface is the problem, it's just the tip of the iceberg to the problem. There's always a reason that that problem came to the surface because there's something underneath it pushing it up. It's the same thing in relationships. As we talk about this fixer-upper series, the same thing in relationships, the same thing in my life, your life, that when you look to restore life, always problems seem to be below the surface. 
I eventually had to go back to the blueprints and the house in order to make things right and, and get it going the right way and bring the house into full restoration. Something I learned about that during my first flip as a house was that you can't cut corners. Corners cannot be cut because if you cut corners, eventually it will come back to haunt you. Eventually it will ruin the, the, the stuff that you put in your home. We could not cut corners if we wanted to make the restoration what it was supposed to be and more structural than just cosmetic. And just like restoring and fixing up a house, we are at the same point in our lives as Americans and Jesus followers. Just like restoring a house, we have to ask ourselves in America, what's next? We're coming out of a pandemic. We've come out of a hard election. We have divided opinions. We have people with, with one side of the aisle and the other side of the aisle. We have churches that are falling apart and Christians trying to figure out life. And I believe in this season right now that most of us, I would dare say all of us in some form relationally in our life or spiritually in our life can enter into a restoration project. Our community, the world, our church, our families, they're all in need of rebuilding. COVID has exposed some broken things in our society. COVID's even exposed some broken things in our own homes, and COVID's even exposed some broken things in churches, and COVID's exposed the brokenness in our society. Again, it was the tip of the iceberg of the problems that are in our communities and need the restoration process. We're all fixer-uppers. Every one of us are fixer-uppers. Every one of us have something in our life that needs to be restored. We long to have restored. We want peace. We want there to be joy. We want there to be perfect love. We, we want there to be success. And all of us could, even in this room and those watching online, could stand up and give testimony. There's something on our heart that we want to fix up in our own life. And we have to choose this to sit in our brokenness and our mess or start the process of restoration. Unfortunately, many people decide to just sit in their brokenness. We try and manage our brokenness in America, even as Christians or Jesus followers, people who believe in God, we try and manage our brokenness instead of start the process of restoration. You wanna know why? Because restoration is hard. It's hard. It's hard because there has to be honest conversation. It's hard because some of our flaws will be exposed. It's hard because you have to tear back and get to the root of the problem. When you restore that house and that subfloor was falling through, I had to get to the root of the problem. I had to go backwards before I could go forward. And that's the same thing in our life, spiritually, physically, everything about our life, the area where you need fixing up and restored is hard and it can be hurtful, but it's worth it. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, what we base in the series off of, he really shows in the book, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what a concept, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Do you like that? That was deep. Anyway, the book of Nehemiah shows us what could be. The book of Nehemiah shows us love what is broken. It also leads others to rebuild. 
finish strong and build communities that last. And in this series, we will learn leadership principles, the importance of prayer, the power of unity, and the importance of the presence of God. You see, Nehemiah had ascended to the position of what's called cupbearer under the king of Persia. Though this position seems to be an important position, administrative position in the government carried a lot of weight and was very dangerous. If anyone tried to poison the king, the cupbearer would drink his drink first, eat his food first. So instead of the king dying, the cupbearer would die. Anybody want to apply for the job of cupbearing? Anybody in the room? Cupbearer was a dangerous job, but it also uh, had a lot of influence in many, many ways. King Artaxerxes was the reigning king that Nehemiah served under. Prior to his reign, the Jews were held, listen to this, captive for 70 years in Babylon and after Babylon's fall in Persia, but God had promised that his people would be restored to their homeland, Jerusalem. So in 539 BC, I know some of you remember that like yesterday, 539 BC, my jokes are not funny the week after Easter, I see. But 539 BC, by God's leading, Emperor Cyrus, the great of Persia, decreed that the Jews be allowed to return to Jerusalem. Now, under the new king's reign, Nehemiah would be used by God because his position as a cupbearer, as a devout believer in the one true God and his promises, he would be used by God to rebuild the walls that would protect God's people, the Israelites, in Jerusalem. And God used his influence and he used his faithfulness to restore the walls to protect his family. But in order to do this, Nehemiah would have to follow some basic blueprints. He would have to follow some blueprint principles. I really should have thought about saying that word out loud before I wrote that as my main points, blueprint. Say that five times fast. But there are some major blueprint principles. <laughs> that was awesome. Here's the mindset I want you to have for the start of this series. The mindset I want you to have for the start of this series, I want to say it in this statement. In order to restore our lives spiritually and to influence others to do the same, we must live with the mindset of principle over personality. Principle over personality. Our society today is all about emotions and God gave us emotions. Our society today is more about personality than living by principles. But if we are going to start the restoration project in our own lives and in the lives of others, we have to follow a basic blueprint principle. And, and we have to follow those. And, and part of that is living by principle instead of personality. So let's look at the couple principles I want to give you today. Here's, here's the principle number one. To fix anything, we have to show up to work. To fix anything, we have to show up to work. This position that Nehemiah found himself in was no accident. Listen to this. It was no accident. God is sovereign even when you don't see him working, yet still you must show up to work for him. 
Even when you don't see God working, if you want to restore something in your life or the lives of others, you still have to show up and work for him. No matter our feelings, no matter our emotions, no matter our personalities in life, God is always at work. And if we give up on the work, why God is at work when we don't see it, then we'll never see the restoration that God wanted to do in our lives in the first place. And so the position that Nehemiah found himself in was no accident. Being the cupbearer placed Nehemiah face to face with the king often. I'm sure it was hard for Nehemiah. Think about this. This is not some ancient story that's, that's, that's some story that, that, that we don't believe, but this is the Bible and this is a character in the Bible who had feelings. He was human, just like me and you. And think about this, Nehemiah going to his job every day, uh, uh, knowing that his people were captive and there was issues with his people. He was in captive himself being the cupbearer for a king. And every day he would interact with this king. And could you imagine the questions that come? Why is this happening to me? God, when are you going to show up? I'm being faithful, but when are you going to show up? I'm showing up every day and I'm trying to have joy in my life and I'm trying to see the rainbow in the storm. I'm trying to see the silver lining, so to speak, but I don't see you showing up in my life. Have you ever felt that way where you're in routine or you're hoping God will show up or you're hoping a circumstance will change, but it doesn't happen on your time. It happens on his time. And there's a lot, a lot more elements involved than just you and you alone. And so being the cupbearer, I I can't imagine it was hard for Nehemiah in a lot of ways. And there were many days that he had to question, what's the use? Can I just say this to you and tear off the shame in your life? It's okay to ask that question. Do you know it is okay for us to say, why is God punishing me? When does this end? It doesn't mean those questions are necessarily right, but it does show that you're human. I went through a bad divorce. Why did that happen to me? There's a death in my family. I didn't see it coming. Why is that happening to me? Disease will not go away. Why is that happening to me? My children, I I can't stop the pain. Why is that happening to me? My marriage isn't what I thought it was. Why is that happening to me? It's okay to ask those questions, but we really have to move from the questions to understand that God is always working and he is sovereign and we just have to show up trusting God. You know, we've been uh, conditioned in our society to move on when things don't seem to be working. We are conditioned to move on from marriages. We're conditioned to move on from family. We're conditioned to move on from job, anything. It's move on because we're so used to getting success so quick that we don't understand that the restoration process takes time. In fact, the restoration process took many, many years when it came to rebuilding these walls. Even with those a range of emotions, it's natural in the human race, he continued to show up and be faithful to his duty. Nehemiah was burdened with adversity. He was burdened with adversity of his people, the Israelites. Even though the Israelites had been back home from the exile, there had still been, listen to this, over a hundred years that the city of God's people have been in ruins. That's just a little while, isn't it? For a hundred years, the people of God, their city had been and ruins. This adversity continued even to King Artaxerxes. 
They also, look at Ezra 4, it even started here, Ezra 4, it says this in verse number 5, they also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King of Cyrus of Persia. And until that reign of King Darius of Persia, at the beginning of the reign of Cyrus, the people who were already in the land wrote an accusation against the residents of Judah and Jerusalem. Have you ever thought that when you're trying to lean into God and figure your faith out, that it seems like you just take two steps back? Have you ever thought when you feel like life levels out that uh, there's another pushback somewhere in your life that needs to be restored or paid attention to, and you wonder if you're ever going to have that peaceful moment in life? At the time, the dissenters by the names of Bishlam, Merethadath, and Tabel, I, I love the new, when I get to preach on the Old Testament and can't pronounce any name in the Old Testament. What was wrong with parents in those days? I mean, come on. I love the name Mark. Anybody like the name Mark? Mark. (laughs) They wrote letters to the king and lied about him. The Israelites were being peaceful and they were complying with the king, but they were still lied about. They were doing their part, they thought, with what God wanted them to do. And they they were trying their best to be good citizens and they were trying their best to do what's right. And still, even in the midst of them doing right, they were lied about. They were stopped. They, uh, They leveled accusations against the Jews and claiming that the Jews would no longer pay taxes to the Persian empire. The king, being concerned, immediately ordered that the repairs be halted and allowed the dissenters to send their forces to Jerusalem to stop the work. This was early in the king's reign. So much was against this restoration project, but there are some interesting facts about Nehemiah's placement and God's sovereignty. Listen to this. In year one, the king of Persia stops the rebuilding of the wall because of complaints. In year seven, The king of Persia allows Ezra to take the Israelites back to Jerusalem and even gives them money, silver and gold to them. In year 20, the king of Persia is confronted with Nehemiah's heart. Can I just say this to you? And I'm preaching it to myself. It's not done till God says it is. It doesn't matter how bleak the circumstance is. It doesn't matter how the walls are ruined in your life. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what your future looks like. It doesn't matter the emotions that you are sitting in. It is never done until God says it is. And in the first year of being in captivity, it looked bleak. And even in the 10th year, it looked bleak. But the 20th year, they started seeing light at the end of the tunnel. You see, Nehemiah might have been born in Persia, but his heart belonged to his homeland in Jerusalem. And he was grieved when a report reached him saying that Jerusalem's walls were still in rubble. Listen, almost 100 years the walls were in rubble. What would make you think they wouldn't be in rubble for the next 100 years? What would make you think it'd even be worth talking about the walls anymore? What would make you think that it'd be worth having hope that walls would be rebuilt? I mean, it's a hundred years, and if you're all really honest with yourself, you wouldn't think much about rebuilding walls after a hundred years as well. But in Nehemiah, we see where he was grieved, and 
after Cyrus had allowed the Israelites to return to the land, Nehemiah won the first four verses. The words of Nehemiah. During the month of Shizlev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress, and I, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned. Here's what he's hearing. He's hearing the message. Could you imagine this? Maybe you've been in this position. I'm sure almost everybody in here and watching or listening can say the same thing. Have you been told bad news that you have no control to change? You want so desperately to change a circumstance, but it's out of your control. Nehemiah's heart was broken because though he was hearing the bad news about his homeland, he felt helpless. Listen to what he says. Verse 4 is a key verse, in my opinion, in this message. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. Here's something we don't like to do. Part of the process is sitting in the pain. Unfortunately, when things are being restored, part of the process is to sit in the pain. And we are conditioned not to sit in the pain. And many times because we want to go on to the next thing or we want to take control of our our situation, we're not able to sit in the pain and hear from the Heavenly Father. Here's what I love about Nehemiah. He hurt. He had pain. There was sickness in his soul. There was nothing he could do about the problem. And what did he do? He sat in that pain and took it to his heavenly father and waited till he heard from the father above until he did the next move. After consulting with his heavenly father, Nehemiah spoke to the king and requested leave to go repair the walls. The king not only granted Nehemiah's request, but he also wrote letters to ensure Nehemiah's safe passage. He kept showing up to do the work. It took a while to see what God was up to, but finally came clear to Nehemiah. Listen, we watch these shows. I love these restoration shows, but we think that everything gets fixed in 30 minutes. We think everything gets fixed in a couple hours. We even go to the point that think it, it can be fixed in a year. Sometimes restoration of the soul takes decades or longer. Sometimes it takes you showing up. It takes you having to sit with that pain, knowing that you can't do anything about it. And then Nehemiah pushed through the feelings of hurt the pain and doubt, and didn't run from it, but showed up. And we get tunnel vision, and when something doesn't turn on the, out the way we think it should, we doubt the goodness of God in that area, and we take over and start worshiping another God. You say, Mark, I, I'm not worshiping another God. Yeah, you become the God. 
One of my biggest faults in my life is this, is that I I want so bad to fix things and I want so bad to take control of things when people are hurting and even in my own life. And I have to remind myself that I am not God. And when I take control of a circumstance and I get ahead of the goodness of God, then I'm in the way of God and I'm starting to worship another God. I wrote this down and I hope this will help you. I'm afraid that we are living a life that is a step ahead of God instead of in step with God so we cannot see the goodness of God in the midst of the bad situation. Pause for a second. Let me read this statement on the screen. This is my heart. This is in my own life. I'm afraid that we are living a life that is a step ahead of God. Fear drives us ahead of God. Worry can drive us ahead of God. Success can drive us ahead of God instead of being in step with God. And when we're not in step with God, we miss the goodness of God. And sometimes the pain leads us to the goodness of God. And sometimes the heartache can lead us to the goodness of God. And sometimes when we sit in that pain and we look to God and just show up, eventually it can lead us to the goodness of God. I'm afraid that when we're living a life that is in step ahead of God and not in step with God, we don't see the goodness of God in a bad situation and our faith can tank in God. If we're to rebuild, to fix up and restore our spiritual lives and community, we need to understand that it starts with us showing up, being faithful and obedient to what is true and right. Here's, here's the second principle. That was the longest principle. This, this principle is only going to last 30 minutes. But here's the second one. To fix anything, our hearts need to break for the things of God. Nehemiah 2 and verse 2 says, so the king said to me, why do you look so sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. The king recognized the sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear, Nehemiah said, because listen, Nehemiah showing this emotion to the king was a big deal. And here's why. There was a law that you could not show sadness to the king. How many of you parents with children in your home think we should convert that law to our lives? Amen. All right. I thought it was funny. Nehemiah was downcast. You see, servants were to maintain a pleasing countenance in front of the king. And so Nehemiah technically was breaking the law to be sad. But the king was merciful and asked Nehemiah to explain why he was troubled. I do not know if Nehemiah even knew about the law because when you get consumed about what breaks God's heart, You don't really think about the consequences. You just long for God. You long for that peace in your life. You long for that answer in your life. I don't know if Nehemiah even thought about the law. He was so overwhelmed with grief and sorrow with what was going on with God's people. Let me give you another statement to think about as we start the series together. A sign 
of someone who knows the heart of God is not their knowledge of God, but their emotions align with God's when it comes to the brokenness of the world. We equate knowledge with success in America. But when it comes to our spiritual journey, it's not the knowledge of God that makes us useful for the kingdom. We must align our emotions with what breaks God's heart to be useful for the kingdom. And the big question we must wrestle with in Christianity is this. Does our heart break for what breaks his? You cannot be effective spiritually and you can't have effective spiritual restoration and fixing up what is broken or messy without the heart of God and letting yourself sit in the grief of what grieves him. I guess the question would be asked today is, what breaks your heart? The last principle in closing is to fix anything, we must believe in God's promises. To fix anything, we must believe in the promises of God. One of our sayings around here is anything is possible with God. Because the Lord had inclined the king's heart toward the Jews, they were able to repair the walls in record time. Listen, 52 days they rebuilt the walls. 52 days, that's impossible. It's impossible to even fathom that if you see the ruins of the Jews and the walls, that they could rebuild the walls in 52 days. Nehemiah 6.15 says the wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month. When restoration seems too hard, our hope is not in our emotions, but in God's promises to see it restored. I want to give you a statement in closing by Tony Evans. It states, based on God's word, Nehemiah began a program of what today we could call community development among God's people. With the blessing of a pagan king, Nehemiah returned home to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the city of God. This demonstrates that even the secular world is subject to God when his people operate according to his kingdom promises and authority. Hear me in closing. Look at the last part of this statement. When his people operate according to his kingdom promises and authority. Now here's the hardest thing and you're going to fail at it. Here's what we think. See, God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for progress. Sometimes you're not going to get things right. Sometimes your emotions will overwhelm you and say, there's no hope. Sometimes you'll think, there's no way out of this circumstance. There's no way to build the wall. And when restoration seems too hard, our hope has to be in his promises, not in personalities. 
You see, to the world, it looked impossible to build those walls. To you, it may be impossible to save your marriage. To you, it may be impossible to help your adult children. To you, it may be impossible. You may feel helpless in your situation of disease. You may feel helpless in your career. You may feel helpless with a loved one. You may feel helpless with yourself saying, you'll never get far enough where God is pleased. But hear me and hear me loudly. Nehemiah had no special gifts. Nehemiah and Nehemiah didn't have all the money in the world. But here's what he did. He showed up. He allowed his heart to break for things that, break, that, that, that breaks God's. And he believed God's promises. We must believe God's promises from his word and trust the process even when we don't think it's possible or see it working. We must believe that situation, that relationship is not helpless because of God's promises. And you wanna know what? God's never breaking a promise and he's fulfilled every promise so far that he has promised. So we can trust in the fact of the history of God not breaking his promise, that he plans to complete his promise in the future. And so my friend, you may have the emotions today if you wish something could be restored, but you've lost hope. It doesn't look good. Anything is impossible with God. Trust His promises. Trust His promises. Would you bow your head right there as we end? Fixer-upper, we're all a fixer-upper. We all need fixing. One of the hardest things in the world is to deny your emotions of what it looks like is going to be and lean into the promises of what God says it will be. And may I say to you as we reflect on this message, trust the process of restoration. Trust the process of peeling back the problem. Trust the process of the pain. Trust the process and deny the emotions that it's not worth it. Because in the end, no matter what happens, on the other side of this world, God makes all things new and right. Restoration is an ongoing process in a broken world. Things will not change overnight. It takes hard, consistent work. And anything is possible when we operate according to God's word. What grieves you? What is hurting you? What are you sitting in pain with? Maybe God's telling you, just show up and don't take control. Maybe God's telling you and convicting you that it is time that you turn to his promises. Maybe God is convicting you and telling you that you're not the answer, but he wants to use you to give the answer. And the answer and the hope is in God himself. Maybe with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're watching online and listening 
Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, I'm that restoration project. I know I need to restore some things spiritually. But my fear is the pain because that surface problem is just the tip of the iceberg. Pastor Mark, would you include me in this prayer? Would you include me in this prayer that I have the boldness to start the restoration project and deny my emotions? Would you lift your hand? Let me pray for you all over the room. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're watching online. You say, Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? I don't need so much spiritual restoration, but I need a shift in my focus. I need to start letting my heart break for what breaks God's in our society. I need to start looking out for others and not just myself. I need to deny myself and be be a testimony for God. I need to find myself useful for the kingdom and not just success of my own life. Say, Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? I need to shift my focus. I don't need so much restoration, but I need a focus shift to not try and preserve my life, but a focus to be useful in my life for God. Would you lift your hand and let me include you in this prayer all over the room, all over the room. I'm raising my hand. As I end in prayer, it's hard. It's hard that first step to follow the blueprint principles, but if you don't, full restoration won't happen. And I'm praying over that for you today. Father, I come to you. I come to you as a sinful, broken man. I recognize today that I do not have the answer to problems. I recognize today that I fail you often in my trust with you. And Father, I I pray that you would convict me and you would use me in this way to lead the way into spiritual restoration and my heart be broken for what breaks yours. I pray for those that raise their hand and they need restoration spiritually. I pray you give them the boldness to step out and start that restoration project. I pray that you would protect them from the enemy. I rebuked Satan and his enemy on their behalf. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you bind the enemy of their mind and emotions and we're able to stand firm in your promises as we are being restored. And I pray for those that need a shift in their focus. God, that you would use us to restore others. Lord, I just pray this in my own life and the life of others. Help us not to help people numb the problem. Help us to help people be restored from the problem. We love you. And I end this prayer glorifying you, knowing that 
walls will be rebuilt because you promise us that when we follow these principles. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.